What is up, RVC? Super excited to be here with each and every one of you. And for those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Jason Gossenberger. I'm the youth pastor here at River Valley Church, and I am beyond excited to dive into God's Word and to see what He has in store for each and every one of us today. Well, I hope your Thanksgivings were great, that you're still stuffed, you're beyond full still, that you got leftovers on top of leftovers, that you had a wonderful time with your families, and that, of course, that you made it through Cyber Friday or Black Friday, whatever it's called now, whatever it may be, I hope you made it through it. You got some good gifts for your family members and maybe a few treats for yourself as well. Well, here we are. We find ourselves just on the tail end of November leading into December. And it sure feels like right now that things are pretty hopeless, right? We have just things going on around us that are completely outside of our control and that are really affecting our lives. We have this third shutdown that we're dealing with because again, we were shut down, we were opened, we were shut down, we were open and things were just getting normal, right? It felt like things were getting back to a place of normal. We still had to wear masks. There was still the social distancing going on, but we could eat in a restaurant. We could walk around in a lot of stores, maybe without a mask on if we had a coffee in our hand, but there were things that were getting back to normal. And then Boom, it gets shut down a third time. Those of you that are business owners are panicking. You're going, I don't know if my business is going to stay open. I don't know what to do here. Those of you that work for businesses are thinking the same thing. I don't know if the business that I work for, the company that I work for, if it's still going to be open at the end of the year or next year. So I don't know what my job is going to look like. I don't know if I'm going to be able to provide for my family. Those of you that are in school, You might like the fact that you get to do school virtually, but there still is an element of going and sitting in a classroom, spending time with your friends that you're like, ah, this just is not the same. What this has done to us is it has brought upon hopelessness. Hope seems lost. It seems somewhere distant, somewhere unattainable, somewhere that we can't get to. And so today, what I really want to do is I want to be able to provide you with hope. I want to bring out the truths that we see in God's word. We're going to look at one chapter in one book, and I'm going to show you how amazing the hope is around you so long as you have something so simple as faith. And so where we're going to be today is Ruth chapter four. That's the only place we're going to be. So you can literally pull out your Bible. You can crack it open, find Ruth, go to Ruth chapter four and just sit there because that's where we're going to be today. So prior to getting to Ruth chapter four, what we see is, of course, the story of Naomi primarily, Ruth, and then, of course, Boaz, who enters in a little later on. But primarily, it's the story of Naomi and Ruth. We see that Naomi is forced from her land early on because of a famine, and she has to live in a distant land with her husband and her sons. Her sons get married. Things seem to be going well. Then her husband obviously gets ill. Something happens to him, and he dies. Game over. Well, Things still seem okay. Sons are married. Things are moving along fine. They're still living. They're surviving. And then boom, both of Naomi's sons die. We don't know how. We just know they both are dead. Naomi now goes, the only thing I can do is move back to my home city and hope that people will take care of me. Hopefully I will be okay. She tells her daughter, or I guess you could say ex-daughter-in-laws or whatever you want to call them. uh, She tells them to leave her. But of course, what we know is that Ruth sticks around and says, no, I'm going to go with you. They, of course, go back. Ruth, being a Moabite, someone that is not an Israelite, that's, that's seen as lesser than, that is just, you know, not good enough. She goes with her anyways. 
Ruth then decides, I'm going to go out and I'm going to glean. So Ruth then takes the time to go into the fields and glean and just getting enough food just to scrape by and survive on a daily basis so her and Naomi could just live to see another day. Well, in the process of doing that, Boaz, the landowner, sees, uh, uh, not Naomi, sees Ruth and goes, ooh, she's cute. And she's taking care of her mother-in-law, who's not even her blood. Wow, this is a good lady. I want to get to know her. So he gets to know her a little more. Naomi and Ruth find out who he really is and what he's able to do for them. Ruth takes a liking to Boaz. And then we get to the point where we are going to be right now, where Ruth has basically told Boaz, I would love to be your wife. I would love for you to take me as your wife. I would love for you to redeem me. Boaz responds and says, I would love to redeem you. I would love to take you as my wife. But first I must go to another gentleman who is actually the one who is above me in the process of redeeming you. And so we enter in with Boaz taking this first step. So here we go. We're going to dive right in. Ruth chapter four, verses two through six, and then we'll read nine through 10. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, that is the other gentleman, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. That was Naomi's uh, husband who had passed. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me and I will know, for no one has a right to do it except you. And I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Continues again, nine through 10. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian and Malan. Those are the sons who had passed away. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malan's willow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are my witnesses. It's pretty incredible. We talk about doing everything to the the letter of the law, doing it exactly how it should be done. He could have absolutely gone, married uh, Ruth, called it a day, taken the land for himself and been good to go. And this dude probably would have been none the wiser about it. It's pretty evident to me um, as you read this, that the dude really was not dialed in. He didn't really know that he was the guardian redeemer. He probably, or if he did know, he didn't really care about it. And so Boaz does the right thing and goes to him first. And the guy's like, yeah, I'm down. I'm down to take the land. I'll collect the land. Sweet. I'll make a, um, I'll make a profit off that. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. But then he throws in Ruth. Yeah, you can't take the land without taking Ruth and Naomi's as well. You, you can have the land, but you must take these two individuals and you must take Ruth as your wife. And this is when the guy goes, whoa, yeah, hands off. I'm not going to marry a woman that is not a pure blood. 
I'm, I, I'm not marrying a Moabite. This is going to bring shame, potential shame on me, which will then ruin my capabilities to do business. No, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to risk that. You can do it. So he goes through all the right channels. And then at the end, we see that he's able to make Ruth his wife and he's able to announce it to the entire city. So not only does he do it, but he does it in a public manner where everyone knows what he is doing as to say, she is mine. I am taking her on. I have all the faith in the world that everything's going to be okay. You can see me however you want, but I am bringing her in to my home. See, there's a few things we see about faith here. Because again, my hope in this, i not a play on words here, but my hope by the end of this is that you are able to find hope through your faith. That you're able to go, you know what? I need to have a little more faith because by doing that, I will be provided with the hope that I so desperately need because the world around me is filled with hopelessness. It's just just throwing hopelessness on me time and time and time again. I need a little hope. And you know how you find some hope? Through your faith. So what do we see here in this part of Boaz piece of the story? How does he, how does he show faith or what is it about faith that we must understand so that when we step out and go, you know what, I'm going to let my faith drive me so that I can be provided with the hope that I need. How is it that we, or what must we understand about faith? There's two things. The first is that faith takes risk. Boaz risked, right? The, the first guardian redeemer went, I'm good. Don't want to risk my livelihood. Don't want to risk my life marrying this chick. You're good. You can take it on. So he's clearly taking a risk by making Ruth his wife. There is some kind of repercussion or there is a potential falling out that may occur if he does this. So he's taking a risk, but he, he has all the faith in the world that God's got this. He has all the faith in the world that it's going to be okay. He has all the faith in the world that Ruth is more important than whatever may happen financially, economically, socially. That doesn't matter. He has faith that marrying Ruth is the right thing to do. But we must know that faith takes risk. You can't just step out and go, I'm going to have all the faith in the world and not be willing to take risks because again, faith is risky. Faith is going, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to take a step and hope that God, you put something under my feet to continue walking forward. Just as Jesus called Peter to him to walk on water, the whole reason Peter was able to do it was because he had faith to take the risk of walking out onto the water. The second thing that we must understand about faith in this story is that faith takes humility. You cannot be prideful. You cannot be arrogant. You cannot be in this mindset that you got it all figured out and go, I'm going to have faith. No, you got to be willing to humble yourself if you want to have faith like Boaz had and faith that will provide you with hope. See, the thing is, faith takes humility. The more humble you are, the more faith you will find yourself having. It's the arrogant, it's the prideful or the arrogance and the pride within us that keeps us from having faith in the unknown that's in front of us. 
God says, I got this. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will give to you everything you need. And what do we tell him? Uh -uh, uh Uh-uh, uh-uh, I don't trust you. I'm gonna put my faith in money. I'm gonna put my trust in objects. I'm gonna put my trust in things of this world. And God's up there going, if you just had faith in me, if you just removed your, your pride and your arrogance and you humbled yourself before me, I would be able to provide the hope for you that you need. See, you keep falling into hopelessness because you think that a politician's gonna make things better. You think that money's gonna make things better. You think that more friendships is gonna make things better. And I'm sitting there, this is God, I am sitting there going, I got this. Put your faith in me. Remove your pride and arrogance. Humble yourselves before me and I will give the hope to you that you so desperately need. When I was a kid, I will, how about this? When we all were kids, we had this thing that we would do, right? Where we'd lose our teeth. You know, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. You know, that famous song that everyone just loves so much. I'm kidding. We all hate that song, especially when the little kid's singing it with the lisp. But cute song, but either way, it's something we all did, right? We lost our teeth. Well, when I was a kid, I was not the biggest fan of losing my teeth. I did everything in my, in, in my power to keep that tooth in my mouth as long as possible to where it just basically worked itself out and fell out, hopefully, just without me even knowing it fell out, chewing on a, a thing of mashed potatoes or whatever, what have you, and it just falls out and I'm good to go. Well, my dad told me at one point, he's like, you know what? I can make this easier on you, Jason. I went, really? How? Come on, tell me. Tell me how you can make this easier on me. So I'm going to get a string. I'm going to tie it to your tooth. And then I'm going to take it and I'm going to tie it to a door handle and I'm going to slam the door handle and it's going to pop right out. I second guessed it, obviously. So I asked him, well, is that really the best way to do it? He's like, yeah, it's really easy. You won't even feel it. All right, let's do this, dad. Let's make this happen. Ties the string to my tooth. He starts leading me down the hallway. And now I start panicking. So I start rifling in my head all the things that are going to go wrong. This is going to go bad. It's going to rip my gums out. It's going to rip my jaw out. It's going to get ugly. Blood's going to go everywhere. It's just going to be a mess. It's going you know, to be horrible. Well, my dad saw the panic. He tried talking me into it. And I told him, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. It's going to be bad. It's going to hurt really bad. I don't want to do this, dad. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. Well, in the process of doing that, panicking and flipping out and crying, I was flailing my arms around because, again, as you guys can tell at this point, I like talking with my hands. And I throw my hands up and I throw my hands down into frustration. And in the process of doing that, it rips my tooth out because I hit the string and it rips my tooth out and it lands on the ground and I'm still panicking. I'm looking at my dad as I'm panicking and he's laughing at me. And now I'm frustrated. I'm like, why is my dad laughing at me? I'm seriously scared here. Well, my dad proceeds to tell me, Jason, calm down. Feel it inside your mouth. So I feel, tooth's gone. He's like, in your panicking, you hit the string and it knocked your tooth out in the process of doing that. See, the thing is, I I, I failed in the faith department here. At at least putting faith in my dad. I completely failed. For both reasons that Boaz had success. Well, the first is I wasn't willing to take the risk, right? I wasn't willing to risk tying the string to the doorknob and pulling it out. It was risky in my mind. It might pull my gums out. It might pull my jaw out. It might make blood go everywhere. In my little childhood mind, it was a risky endeavor. The other thing is I wasn't willing, I, I, I wasn't willing to remove my pride and my arrogance. 
Again, I was ignorant for the most part, but I I had this idea that somehow my dad did not have my best interest in mind. My dad knew what he was doing, and my dad had never done anything to me to harm me, or he never had me do anything that would inflict intentional harm on me. Everything he had me do or he would tell me to do actually brought more or good things onto my life. But in that time, I allowed myself to think that I had it the best, or I knew what was best, that this is going to end badly. I wasn't humble. I had no faith. Why? Because I wasn't willing to take a risk and I wasn't willing to be humble. See, the thing is, it's the opposite for Boaz. Boaz stepped out and took a risk, right? He said, you know what? I don't care what happens socially. I don't care what happens economically. I don't care what happens, period. I'm stepping out and I'm taking a risk on marrying Ruth because she needs me. First of all, I love her. I care about her. But secondly, she needs me. She's done everything she possibly can to care for her mother-in-law. I'm going to do something to care for her. He takes a risk, though. We have no idea what might end up happening to them in that economic or socioeconomic kind of position, but we know it wouldn't be good. But he stepped down and he took a risk. The second thing is he removed his pride. Again, he went to that gentleman first, the other guardian redeemer, and said, you know what? I'm going to humble myself before this guy. Whatever decision he makes, these elders of the town make, and the rest of the town makes, I'm humbling myself before that decision. If that means that I don't get to marry Ruth, I'm okay with that. I want her to have what's best for her. And if that is marrying this, this, gentle, this other gentleman, then so be it. Because again, I'm humbling myself. I have faith that God has what is best for me, what is best for Ruth, what is best for this guardian redeemer, and what is best for every party involved. See, the thing is, both of these things showed immense faith. The the entire story of Ruth, when Boaz has been in it, you see an immense level of faith. That he doesn't force himself. He He doesn't try to use his own intelligence and his own wits and his own strength to do what he wants to do, that he really does have faith and trust God in the process of getting to know Ruth and trusting that God will lead it down to inevitably them getting married. And then we see it with Ruth and Naomi. Naomi has a little lack of faith at the beginning, but after that, there's immense faith from her. Immense faith that Boaz will do the right thing. Immense faith that Ruth will truly care for her. Ruth has immense faith that she can, that God will provide for them. That, you know what? That Boaz will do the right thing and that everything will be restored in the end and that they will be redeemed. But how is it that our faith can lead to hope? That's the big thing, right? Because I want you to walk away from this going, amen. I got all the hope I need. I'm going to be okay. God's got this. So how is it that our faith leads to hope? How is it that us stepping out and taking a risk, how is it that us removing our pride and our arrogance and having humility, how is it that those things, which of course lead to faith, how is it that our faith ends up leading to hope? Well, let's wrap up Boaz's, Ruth's, and Naomi's story, and let's see how that ends up happening. Going back into Ruth, obviously, Ruth 4, 11 through 16, and 21 through 22. So again, 11 through 16. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in uh, Ephrathah 
and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. Continues 21 and 22. And this is the genealogy. This is what's amazing. Solomon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of uh, Abed, Abed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. And we all know David was a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Unbelievable story. What an incredible ending. We start the story of Ruth, just utter hopelessness. Nothing was going right for Naomi or for Ruth. Everything that could have gone wrong was going wrong. They then have to go back and things don't seem to be getting a whole lot better. They're, they're better than they were, but they don't seem to be getting better. And then even then, Boaz enters into the picture and still it's not a done deal. Ruth clearly had fallen in love with Boaz and Boaz had clearly fallen in love with her, but there was no guarantee that she would marry the man of her dreams. But still we see here at the end that they get married. Not only do they get married, but they have a son. Naomi is restored to a level of of joy. There is joy in the town for Naomi instead of a shame and a ridicule, which is what she was welcomed to when she came back years prior to this. And then, of course, we see because of the faith that they had. Not only are they in the lineage of Dave, King David, but they're in the lineage of Jesus Christ because they had faith. So how is it that our faith provides us with hope? How do we have hope through faith? First thing is this. Our faith will provide others with hope. Again, it's not about you and me, right? It's about others. It's about God and it's about others. It's not about you and me. It's about God. It's about others. I'll say it again. It's not about you and me. It's about God and it's about others. And so that's why I start with this point. Our faith will provide those around us with hope. We so often fall into this trap and we go, woe is me. Life sucks. Life sucks. And you know what we end up doing in the process of doing that? We end up defeating those around us. If you have kids, you end up defeating your kids. If you are a kid, you end up defeating your parents. If, if you are married, you end up defeating your spouse. The thing is, our hopelessness actually ends up defeating others and brings hopelessness into their life. But if we have faith, faith within the hopelessness, we actually provide others with hope. We see it here in this story. Look it, because Boaz had hope, He was able to provide Ruth and Naomi with hope because Ruth and Naomi had hope. They were able to provide an entire city to where they were rejoicing over what had happened, that they actually went to Naomi and said, praise be to God for what has happened to you because you had faith. 
Because you continued to have faith and you did not give up, Naomi. Praise be to God, for you have been given a guardian redeemer, something no one expected, but you had faith. And because of that, we now have faith. It's the same in our lives. The more faith that we have, the more hope that we will provide for those around us. And that is what it is all about, folks. It's not always about you and me, but it is always about our neighbors. It is always about those around us. The more faith we have, the more hope we provide for others. Secondly, our faith will provide our future with hope. Our faith will provide our future with hope. It's not always about the right here, right now, right? Providing us with hope in this uncertain world that we live in right now might not happen right here, right now. But you know what? Our faith right here, right now will provide us with hope for the future. So all things are, although things are messy and icky and dirty and filthy and everywhere and uncertain currently, the faith that we have right now will provide us for hope in the future. Yeah, right now it might look gross. It might look like things aren't going to get a whole lot better in California. But you know what? I have faith that things will get better. And because of that, I can put my hope in the future. I don't need to put it in the present. I'm going to put it in the future. Why? Because I know God's got this. The devil might win the battle, but he sure as heck is not winning the war. So although it's hopeless now, God's saying, I got this. Stop focusing on right here, right now. And start focusing on the hope that I'm providing for you in the future. Our faith provides us with hope for our future. Thirdly and finally, our faith will lead to the most surprising of hope. Our faith will lead to the most surprising of hope. When we start the story of Ruth, there is no way that we expected things to turn out the way that we did. Well, maybe, you know, again, it is a Bible story. So yay, things will get good in the end. But there's plenty of Bible stories we read where things go sideways and they get ugly fast. King Saul, for example, things do not go well for him in the end. So it's very likely that things could just get worse for Ruth and it's a lesson on how life just kicks you and it keeps kicking you. But instead, what do we see? We see the most uncertain, incredible thing happening, a hope, a hope that far, that expands beyond our wildest imaginations, that not only is she redeemed, but she is redeemed by a man that loves her, that cares about her, that wants what's best for her. And then that is willing to welcome Naomi in and make her a part of their world. And then, of course, we see that they end up becoming a part of the lineage of King David, which means that they will forever be remembered, never forgotten, because, again, they're a part of King David's lineage. And finally, they're a part of Jesus Christ's lineage. See, the thing is, our faith, your faith, will provide you with a hope that is completely out of left field. You'll go, wow, where did this come from? Why? Why am I getting this? How is this happening? For what reason is it occurring other than thank you, Jesus? Thank you for what you have provided me with. But the thing is, we must have faith first. When we have faith, we find hope. And that hope that we find almost always will floor you. It'll be something that you'll go, this is a miracle. And only because of God do I have the hope that I have right now. Because again, right now with what is going on in our world, There is hopelessness. And the only way that we're going to go, you know what? There's hope is by going, wow, God did this. Not me. 
God did this. So I wanted to go back to college when I was about 25. I'd failed out. I'd spent my first two and a half, three years of college just being an idiot. Taking a class, stop going halfway through the class, I would get an F. I did that with about 16 to 17 classes. Failed every single one of them. Finally got smart and said, college isn't my thing right now. Stepped out. Did the serving and bartending game and decided, you know what? I need to go back to college. I felt this calling on my life to become a youth pastor again. felt a calling on my life to go into ministry. And I went, the only way to do that is for me to go and make the mistakes I had made in the past right. And one of those is going to college and taking it seriously and turning all of my F's and A's. Well, the last one I had to turn into an A was English 1A. It's a class everyone has to take. But see, the thing is at Clovis Community, I had taken it three times already. I had failed it, failed it, and failed it a third time. Went to my counselor and I said, can I retake English 1A? And she said, I just don't think it's likely, Jason. And I said, why not? She said, the fact that they allowed you to take it a third time after failing it twice is surprising. I have never seen anyone apply to take a class for a fourth time as after either dropping out of it or failing out of it. It's unlikely that the board allows it. Well, I did it anyways. I filled out my essay on why I I feel like I should be allowed to take the class again, why I I didn't take it seriously in the past. And then I had to sit in front of the board and basically, you know, I guess you could say, talk on my behalf as to why I should be allowed to take it again. Walked out of the meeting and then a week and a half later, my counselor called me in. She said, you'll never believe this. They accepted you. They're letting you take English 1A again. I was utterly floored. I'll be honest. I knew God was in it. I knew that he was going to take care of me. If I wasn't going to take English 1A there, I was going to take it online somewhere else. I knew he had had the calling on my life. But I'll be honest, I was floored that it worked out the way that it did. My counselor said, I've never seen this happen before. And the only reason this probably happened is because it was a miracle. That's the only way. See, the thing is, I had faith. And because of that, I stepped down and I took a risk. I had faith and I humbled myself before the decision that the board and that the school would make because again, I had made mistakes. See, the thing is my faith led to hope for others. There's a number of students that I've mentored over the years that didn't want to go to college or or weren't taking school seriously. And I was able to share this story with them and it changed their trajectory. It changed the way that they looked at schooling. It changed the hopelessness that they had and brought hope in and went, you know what? I can do this. Yep, I've been struggling with school to this point, but I got it. And it came, that hope for me came in the most shocking and unimaginable way possible. And never did I think that A, I would be able to get through college, which I did, and graduate summa cum laude with straight A's constantly. Never did I imagine that happening. But the only reason those things were were able to happen is because God provided me with a hope that was unimaginable. He provided me a hope for my future because I put faith in him. I said, you know, I'm putting my faith in you, God. I'm putting my faith in what you have in store for my future. And it provided me with hope for my future, even though in the present it seemed hopeless. It It has provided others with hope in the process of what they see me go through. And it was a hope that was unimaginable. So my hope for each and every one of you is that you begin to put your faith in God. 
that you stop going, you know what, I got this. I can do this on my own. I don't need anyone else. But then you go, you know what, I need you, God. I need you to step out before me and I need you to lead me on. I hope that you step out in faith by taking a risk. That you step out in faith by being humble and submitting yourself to whatever God has in store for you. I pray that you understand that, that your faith is going to provide others with hope. That those who see what is going on around them as hopeless, they will be provided with a hope that far exceeds their wildest imaginations because of the faith that you have in the hopelessness. I pray that you are provided with a hope for your future because you place your faith in God. And most of all, that you're provided with a hope that you can't answer by human definitions. That it's a hope that all you can say is, thank you, God. Thank you for what you have provided me with. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you have done for each and every one of us to this point in our lives. We're sitting here. If we're watching this, we clearly have internet. We're able, we got a device that we can watch it on. What a blessing it is to have those things. That even though we're unable to gather physically, we can still gather virtually. That we can still celebrate who you are and praise your name and glorify you for what you have done for us. May the thankfulness that we experienced on Thursday on Thanksgiving, may it extend through December and into next year. May we be thankful even in the nasty, the dirty, the grittiness of the world that's going on around us. And Lord, may we put our faith in you. May we put our faith and our trust in you because it is through that faith that we are provided with an unimaginable hope. A hope that we can't help but say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. A hope that is for our future and a hope for others. Lord, I thank you. And I pray that we rest our faith in you and you alone. For anyone out there that's sitting there in front of your device and you're going, man, I want that hope. I want to hope that you're talking about because things are hopeless right now. But I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I don't, I don't know who he is. I've been wrestling with this concept and this idea to this point. I want this now. I want to make that decision. I want to commit my life to Christ. There is no magical prayer. There is no magical words. It is simply you putting your faith in God and saying, Lord, I give you my life. I give you control of who I am. I trust and believe that you came, you died for me, and you went to the cross so that I may enter into a right relationship with you because it is through your blood that you shed on the cross that I can be made clean and pure again. So in your own words and in your own way right now, may you stop what you are doing, stop what you are thinking about, and give your life over to Christ. For everyone else, I pray that we have a great rest of our Sunday, you have a wonderful rest of your week, and that we enter into December celebrating the hope that we have in you, Lord. Praise in your name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with, with me, or you're still praying it, we would love to be able to provide you with some resources. We got books, we got Bibles, we got a reading plan, we got all kinds of great things for you to help you start your walk with Christ and to make your life new. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Know that we love you, that we're praying for you, and that we're always here for you. Peace out.